Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. This is episode 437. We're recording this on the 11th of October. Friday the 11th of October at 8.30 Pacific Standard Time. And you can watch the show live on the WP Tonic Facebook page. I've got a great panel. We've got some great stories. And I actually think it's going to be a fantastic, might be as good as last week's, which I think was one of our best discussions ever. So um, before we go in, before I introduce yourself to the panel and the stories, I just quickly want to mention one of our great sponsors, and that's Kinster Hosting. Oh, no, I've got the wrong one. Sorry. Sorry, folks. It's breezy.co. And what is Breezy? Breezy is one of, I think, one of the most um, interesting page builders on the market at the present moment. They've just introduced some new features to their page builder, and I would suggest that you go over to breezy.com and look what they've got to offer. When it comes to UX design and some other um, sharing features, I think they're the leader of the pack when it comes to page builders. So like I say, go over to breezy.com. And if you do buy one of their packages, please tell them that you heard about them on the WP Tonic Roundtable show. So I'm going to let the panel introduce themselves. Let's start with Adrian first. Adrian, would you like to introduce yourself to the to the listeners and viewers? Hi, everyone. My name is Adrian. For those of you who do not know me, I am the CEO and founder of Groundhog. We built sales and marketing plugins for businesses that use WordPress. Uh, Uncle Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Spencer Foreman from WPLaunchify.com. That's great. My friend John Locke, would you like to introduce yourself? John from Lockdown SEO. My friend, Chris Spadgett, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Chris from Lifter LMS, which is a learning management system for WordPress. Uh, my friend, Sally Gosh, would you like to introduce yourself? <clears throat> I'm Sally Getch, the WP fangirl. And my friend, Morton, would you like to introduce yourself? Now you muted, I think, or something. Now we can't hear you. We can't hear you. Yeah. How about now? Yes, we can hear you. I'm Morton. We should control. We can hear you. We can... <laughs> <laughs> That's all you get. I'm right. Morton. Right, Dio. Let's go into the first story. Open source is broken. Um, why don't you start, Morton, with this one then? Okay, this one's quite beefy, literally speaking. The The article in question is extremely long. Uh, I hope you all read it because it's an excellent piece of uh, work uh, from... Uh, Philosopher like myself, uh, it's it's just on no, a personal no, note. No, Morton, he's a philosopher that's not nearly as good at <coughs> explaining things clearly as you are. Well, yeah, sure, but like it's, it, I've been harping on this for a long time, and it's kind of interesting to see someone else who has who's not aware of what I've been saying, who comes to the same a lot of the same conclusions separately from me, because that just shows that I'm not you know, a crazy man screaming in a room. There are other crazy men screaming in other rooms <laughs> that are screaming the same stuff. So um, if I was to sum up this article in a few basics, it is basic, it's saying that the fundamental premise of open source 
ideology is inherently unethical um, for a myriad of reasons, including it puts the focus on the software instead of the human beings involved in the software transaction. Um, It uh, creates a scenario in which a creator loses control or gives up control over what they create and then hands that control to the user, which is, when it's in many cases, is corporations who then turn that software into profit. Um, And it creates a scenario in which uh, a person who creates software is unable to put any type of moral limits on how it's used. Meaning, if they create software and someone uses it for evil, they have no recourse. Um, and uh, then he frames this in contractual, contractualism, which is a type of uh, moral philosophy. It's a relatively modern one and says that we have obligations to other people when we act upon them. And open source uh, licensing, as it currently stands, actively robs creators of the ability to have responsibility to other people and hold, uphold their own obligations to other people. So... That's the very simple analysis of it. Like this comes, this article comes on the heels of all of this um, stuff around trying to create an open source license that also has a moral clause. Um, you may have heard about it. There's a, there's a new project that's called um, the Hippocratic License that's part of a larger ethical open source uh, or ethical source movement uh, that is trying to add a moral clause to the MIT license. And there are a lot of open source absolutists who are very against this because they say that any type of limitation on use is inherently not open source. So there's a larger conversation happening around whether or not open source is sound and whether or not it's possible to have ethical open source. Yeah, my only remark before I throw it over, it, um, I, I thought there were some good points in the piece, but I also thought it was extremely binary. Um, basically... You know, it was like a, a zero-one game. You know, it was pointing all the faults. But uh, but with open source, yeah, some of the points he made are totally um, you can lean to. But also there's great benefits as well. But it's like there's only faults. And where it's like, well, it's like classifying a person. Most of us have good points and most of us have bad points, don't it's, we? You have to... You have to think of it like this. He is approaching open source ideology as a way of thinking about the world, right? This is what philosophers do. And this is why, um, speaking as a philosopher, this is the problem with philosophy, is that people who speak about philosophy from a philosophical point of view tend to abstract things and say that we are now talking about the idea of the thing, not the thing itself, right? Plato and a lot has of the pushback so much to answer for. Um, like the, <laughs> the a lot of the pushback to this article, like if you go to AWP or anywhere else, you'll see there's a lot of people who are like, oh my God, this is a straw man argument, and, and they say things like this. You have to think about it like what he's saying is if you look at the overall understanding of the world that's encapsulated in this ideology. It is an, it's a situation in which the, pers- the actor is, uh, has uh, either like is, um, the actor in the, in the act of becoming part of the open source movement gives away their own um, 
agency to control how their creations are used. And this is something that's unique. There is no other situation in which you create something and then by creating it, you automatically give away control of it, right? Um, and, and then art? in... No, because you don't get you don't give away your copyright. Like you can actually, if someone like you, you see it in like when Donald Trump used Nickelback's music in his ad, Nickelback immediately got it taken down. Like it took an hour, right? Uh, right. That is, I'm kind. I'm kind of thinking of Nietzsche and Nazism. Yeah, but that's the same thing, right? That's that was uh, uh, like Nietzsche had his works recontextualized by his sister post-death. And the sister made it sound like something it's not, right? So, Right. I mean, and, doesn't that happen? Can't that happen to anything anybody yeah, but, puts out in the world? But the difference here is in an open source environment, if no, I'm sorry. I want to. I want to open it out to someone, uh, Chris. <laughs> uh, I think old Morton's on. Go ahead. Uh, and then this other guy's on kind of rocky territory here. What do you reckon, Chris? I think every tool is a weapon if you hold it right. So you know, I may make a knife and put it out into the marketplace, a cooking knife, and I lo- I then lose control of it. And you know what people do with that knife? It's up to the law of the land to enforce whether there was how that was being used. So this is one way to look at it. The, to me, the article is a little biased. Like I, I kind of want to just ask the question of to name one person or one situation where somebody completely was taken advantage of and got no benefit from the open source community. I can't think of one personally. Not that people haven't had a positive and a negative experience, but I've never seen a zero-sum game on that one. Um, so that's just a question. and. Um, Not having a kill switch, like Twitter can take down somebody who's using their platform unethically, and they've done that recently. Uh, But in the open source, you can't do that. So I think that is, uh, you do lose control of it to a degree, but is it the creator's responsibility to enforce the use? I don't, I think that requires um, actors outside of the creator. Oh, but it is. I I think I'm I'm getting a, I think I'm, I I think... (laughs) I'm I'm starting to understand here that that part of this is the that the argument says you know not simply that something might be misused, but that the concept as as defined uh, pretty much ensures that it can be misused and you will have no recourse. That that things like copyright give you some recourse when people misuse things, though they will not prevent them from mis, from misusing them. And. Uh, <clears throat> You know, there is something in that uh, argument, but it's at the same time, you know, I'm reading some of this stuff in, in this art, article about, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the quote that says, we have a system that depends upon the unpaid, unappreciated labor of thousands and then created incentives for them <clears throat> to just jump ships, leaving the rest of us at the mercy of fates. <clears throat> oh my God, it was the globally. Right, it, it, it sure is. It makes me look, it isn't it makes me look like sunshine. It isn't morally defensible. And I'm like, um, hello, okay. I'm a white person of European descent living in the United States of America. The Why fact is that I have a place, the fact that I have a place to live here is predicated on past genocide, slavery, uh, exploitation of, you know, it's like out of that environment, how is anybody going to come up with a morally defensible concept of anything? Well, they go, go, go ask um, Spencer. 
Um, I can't think this article in some ways is linked to last week's um, where we were discussing um, David's interview with Matt Mohey and the whole thing and Matt's total defence through the whole interview was that um, my software or WordPress is open source. And I think I'm just interested in your views about this and um, last week's um, conversation and uh, the interview with uh, Matt because... I see you in both camps, you know, in some ways. <laughs> well, I listened to the interview with Matt, and as always, I mean, I, I always like the human psychology of what's behind stuff, and then I look at it from a money standpoint, marketing. I mean, the psychology and the philosophy part are interesting, but I really focus on that part. So first takeaway in that thing with the interview with Matt was, I'm amazed at how he can have a conversation where he just talks in this explosive <laughs> whisper voice. In, in every conversation, yes, yes. even in a radio show, it's like, yeah, we took $300 million. But then certain things, he'll come online like, like he, he literally is being two people. I find that personally very fascinating. That's the word I'll choose. In that particular conversation, he used open source at his will for the, the point he was making at the time. Because my underlying belief about open source is that you must approach it like a hot potato. If you are going to make open source, you have to accept right off the bat that you will, you will put this thing into existence that could burn you if you grab it. You're making something that somebody can do anything with that sort of has your name on it that could be used for good or evil and whatever. And the problem that this article rightly points out that I bring up is that the difficulty with many of the creative people is that they don't have an entrepreneurial money-making bent and they get brought into this sort of indentured servitude for the thing that they initiated, which is, I did this for my buddies, my coder friends, this would be useful for people. They didn't realize that some jackwipe like me is going to come along and monetize the crap out of it on their backs. And then they're going to be stuck with like, wait, 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 that wasn't what I wanted it to be. And okay, so the solution for this is really simple. Those that participate going forward, maybe and this is a symbol, but like need to have eyes wide open that kind of like, uh, you know, creating the first nuclear weapons. And, you know, we we saw the regret on the founders of that. Like maybe if you're going to make something, understand going into it, either A, look to monetize it initially, even if it's open source by the services, the support, the creative endeavors you can wrap around it, or know that once you release that thing, you're never going to get it back. I think most of the disappointment and the angst I see comes from people who had good intentions but didn't realize what's going to become of the thing that they let loose. And now we're years later and we've already seen that once the the capitalists went over to the commune and saw all the hippies drinking the Kool-Aid and granola and took all their free goodies and started making money on their backs, that they're like, whoa, wait a second. These are two compatible goals. Well, the hippies lose every time. Matt is walking the line, in my opinion, is wearing the hippie hat, taking the money. But we can see, in my opinion, the evil intentions that down the road, jetpack in a box will be everything and all things all wrapped up on the backs of the people that came before it. And that's just the way it's going to go. So I don't think it's a surprise to me, but I'm the cynical, you know, big mouth in this group. And I'm the first one who will take advantage of anybody who is... In open source, like looking at it as if somehow I'm doing something unfair. If you put it in open source, it's open source. 
That's it. Conversation over. And we talked about this 10 years ago, literally, when Woo Themes did this, right, with ADPNR, and they, they hijacked, we talked about this two, three shows ago with the Jigo Shop. The whole conversation came out the open, and Chris Pearson had his thing, and we've talked about this endlessly. Oh, I'm so sad because you ripped off and forked my thing. But it's like, you made it knowing that it was there to be ripped off and forked, and now somebody's doing better at the marketing than you. Boo-hoo for you. Yeah, anyway. I think that was quite good. Does any of the other panel want to add? Oh, um, John, you wanted to add, right? John? <laughs> yeah, uh, <clears throat> well, of course. I got to throw my two cents in here. I think that Spencer is, is surmised it like very well, and, and Chris said that you know any tool can be a weapon. I think what's happening right now, um, there, there's two conversations. I know Morton was in a conversation earlier, and he's talking about what's happening at GitHub, where there is no kill switch uh, to keep open source code for being used for evil or for authoritarian purposes. So that's one thing that's going on. The thing that's going on in WordPress and open source in general, a lot of people were sold a bill of goods when it came to the open source community, thinking that open source code and that tech, the tech culture in general is benevolent and good. And it's, it's really not. Like open source is neutral. It's neither good nor evil. It depends on who wields it. And I think a lot of the, the promise of open source is meritocracy. If you, you know, give all this hours for free, that your star is going to rise in the community and people are going to give you money and give you jobs uh, because of all this stuff that you've given to the community. But a lot of people are waking up to the fact that as Spencer, as Chris, as, as everybody said, you know, a lot of these companies are exploiting it as free labor. And a lot of people are saying, I ain't going to work on Maggie's farm no more. So that's what's going on. Yeah, I think that's great. Let's go on to story two. The the theological price of entrepreneurship. And I think this came from you, Adrian. What did you like about this story? Uh, so this was posted, I actually saw this on Facebook from a colleague of mine who run or uh, who went through very various different walks of life. First, he was an Infusionsoft certified partner, kind of like myself. Uh, and now he's running a, a rather successful uh, chain of travel agencies in Canada here. And I think I thought it tied in well into actually, I think it ties well now into the last article where we're talking about this whole thing about, you know, a bunch of people working in the open source community, putting stuff out and then people coming along like myself. Although I monetize my own stuff. I monetize other people's stuff too from time to time. It depends. But... You know, the, the, the actual toll that it takes on, on the entrepreneurial mind to actually maintain and put up with a lot of that stuff, working seven out or sorry, working seven day weeks and 20, 23 hour days, like trying to get it to work. I just thought, you know, a lot of us probably in this room here would be able to relate to essentially the experiences that are laid out. For example, if you're, let's say, a debt management consultant, right? and you're running a debt management consulting agency or a debt management consulting practice, you take out a significant amount of debt. And this is, this is like the first example, by the way, coming straight from the article. You take out a significant amount, a significant amount of debt in order to actually you know, get an office, get employees, pay, pay wages, right? And then you're consulting people to get rid of their debt while you're, like, you're under crippling debt. And I just thought it was, you know, that's, it's ironic, really. Um, but that's kind of just like the state that it is. For example, in my own business, it's like, you know, we're responsible for 
getting leads and, and helping people grow sales. And we have our own struggles with growing sales and getting leads. Like it's kind of just, you know, we, we often as entrepreneurs, we have to put on a brave face and we say, hey, listen, there's no issues here. We got you. We're solid. Kind of like behind the scenes. It's, it's, it's not really that to an extent. It's like, you know, we're putting in slave labor hours, essentially, like trying to get shit through the door and push it out and make sure that people are happy. So if you're a consumer and you're listening to this channel, you know, I just, if you, if you read this article, I think it's paints a really clear picture about behind the scenes entrepreneurship, especially if it's a small team and it's, there's people working around the clock to make sure that you get the tools that you need. And people sometimes just don't see that. Uh, what do you reckon about that, Chris? Uh, there's some good points in here. One of them is that we have a lot of hero worship in our society where we look at like young, successful, like Mark Zuckerberg. And it almost seems like that's a norm or inevitable when the reality is there's a, a wake of destruction and, and failed dreams behind people who tried to start companies, both young and old. Um, it's a real problem. Our, our education system is really built around creating employees and managers of employees and doesn't really focus on uh, fostering the entrepreneur, which is really an artist in the same way that our traditional upbringing, it's okay when you're young to like be creative and make art. And then it becomes more of this niche thing when you get older. Um, but artists like entrepreneurs who are essentially business artists, um, they have strong emotions. They're sensitive people. They don't always fit in. And um, they're essentially creating something out of nothing, which is really hard to do. And when your society and your education system doesn't support you, it leads to the higher than normal mental health issues in the space. So I just want to throw out a great resource. Um, Sherry Walling has a podcast called Zen Founder, which focuses on mental health for entrepreneurs. And uh, she also has a great book called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together that is about mental health for entrepreneurs. I highly recommend that. Before yeah. you move on to the, to the yeah. next person, no, I'd, also, yeah, I'd also like to point out um, if anybody here is familiar with the WP Builds group on Facebook, uh, Nathan Wrigley posted uh, that WP and Up, uh, an organization charity focused on mental health within the WordPress community, is uh, currently has a new campaign going called uh, Hashtag Never Give Up. So I'd uh, recommend that because they're, they're kind of like trying to put some funds together to, to continue operations at this point. So if anybody wants to... Uh, if anybody's struggling with mental health in the WordPress community, you can go mm -hmm. check out, um, uh, I just forgot, uh, Never Give Up, the Never Give Up campaign from, from WP and Up. Mm. Uncle Spencer, I've got a confession, Uncle. I think I'm a little bit odd and a little bit bonkers. That's why I'm an entrepreneur. What do you reckon, <laughs> Uncle Spencer? You know, I can't say for everybody, but my experience is I knew I was an entrepreneur when I was 10 years old because of the same reasons that even though I tried in life to work as a corporate employee, I couldn't. So one of the things that I've come to learn in my fifth decade of life is that the cycle of entrepreneurialism is the same cycle that I experienced in my personal life, which is there, there are phases and changes. And if you've been around long enough, you realize the ups and the downs can be violent or they can be gentle, but they come and go. So the daily thing that I go by as an entrepreneur, and it's just my mantra, is Somebody is going to shit in my coffee cup today. If they don't, it's an amazing day. If they do, I'm prepared for it. And that's how it goes as an entrepreneur. And the journey as an entrepreneur, I mean, there's an old adage, but like, if you're not willing to go all the way to bankruptcy, you probably should get a job because that's just the way it rolls. 
definition of entrepreneur, somebody who finds other people's problems, takes a personal risk to solve them. And personal risk is as much as you want. But if you're not willing to go all the way to bankruptcy, then, you know, your, your range is a little limited. That's yeah. been my experience in reality. Right, T.A. Anybody else want to comment on this? Well, I, I think there's yeah. two points in the article, basically, that one, there's kind of a toxic culture around all of this, and especially a certain rather, you know, absurd notions of Silicon Valley. And the other is just that, you know, that people who are likely to become entrepreneurs may be, uh, that, you know, that, that there may be a, a, a link between willing to being willing to take those risks that Spencer uh, mentions and and having the kind of drive and also being more prone to crushing self-doubt, de- depression, anxiety and and some of those other mental health issues. Right, Moulton, you were going to say something? Yeah, this article falls in line with a bunch of other articles that we've discussed previously around this whole idea of all people are different. Some people are entrepreneurs. Some people are freelancers. Some people are not. And there's this general tendency of society to venerate the entrepreneur or the freelancer as some sort of higher being because of and, and something to strive towards. The reality is entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs, are a very rare breed of person who has a very specific way of thinking about the world. And when I, what I often see is people who aren't the entrepreneur type trying to take the entrepreneur route and they are the ones that suffer the most. And it's important for people to understand that that is being an entrepreneur is a very specific thing to do that requires a very specific mindset. And not having that mindset is not a moral failing. It just means that you're not an entrepreneur. That doesn't mean that you can't do anything valuable. It just means that that particular thing isn't what you want to do. Just like being a doctor might not be what you want to do. It's just the type of job. Yeah, there's there's a there's a actually a really good a really good thought exercise uh, there that, that kind of like really generalizes people in four different categories. You have controllers, analytics, supporters, and promoters, and those are kind of like the four classes of the, of the human psyche. And if you do a couple of exercises, of which I don't, we don't really have time to go into, but you can essentially put yourself into the, one of those four categories. And there's lists of occupations that. Uh, allow you to basically kind of like, or that fit those different kinds of psyches. For example, the controller and the analytic position fit really, really well into the entrepreneurial mindset. However, the promoter and the supporter very much do not. And those are like more akin to, the, you know, being government or politicians or, or, or in that sort of way. And the two are like very different. So if you're kind of like, if you're thinking about it, I highly recommend you go check out this exercise. I don't remember the name of it, but just Google uh, controller, promoter, supporter, and uh, analytic, and you'll find the exercise. You can see kind of which psyche you can kind of narrow yourself. It's very general, so it's not like it's a set in stone kind of thing, but it's it's a neat exercise to go take. Right, we're going to go for our breaks, listeners and viewers, and we'll be back with some of great stories. We'll be back in a minute. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back. 
We had a bit of a philosophical discussion at the at the first half. I'm sure it's all downhill from now on, but there we go. Uh, oh yes, we've got a certain Norwegian posted article here. Where are where we go from here? Ten thoughts on the immediate future of the web. What was your it, thoughts about writing this one, Morgan? Is this the one you redid like six times? Uh, no, it's not. No. The one I redid six times was the Pressnomics talk, which is something else. This was the Pressnomics talks was about the stuff we talked about in the very beginning about the ethics or unethics of open source. I think Chris was there. He might have actually heard part of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that thing will not, will not, was not recorded and will never be repeated. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I was asked by WordCamp. Vancouver to say something meaningful about the future to people who are coming into WordPress now. So I tried to summarize 10 things I'm seeing, 10 trends I'm seeing that will have an immediate impact on people who are working in the space. So this isn't stuff that is like five years out. This is more like stuff that's between six and 12 months out. Um, and uh, yeah, so I put it together in an article. It's kind of hard to summarize because there's 10 completely separate things, but uh that's where it is. I'm curious to hear your opinions on it. Right. Who wants to start off? Oh, Chris, go on. Off you go. Uh, I just uh, admire Martin's um, like futurist like way of seeing the future. It's really cool. But the uh, so a couple of ones that stood out to me. I was at a, another kind of entrepreneur WordPress conference recently, and I was someone was asking me what's new with Lyft LMS. I was talking about the REST API and how proud we are of it and it's rolling out. And then they, they said, well, what about GraphQL? And I was like, what's that? And then I read this article and now I'm finding out about that. So I'm, I'm, it seems like the future is accelerating and all this stuff, Gatsby and everything else is, is coming at us. Themes are changing, JavaScript over CSS, all this stuff. Um, so it's really what this article highlights to me is the rate of change is accelerating. And... Uh, and then I thought it was interesting just really looking at the corporate control over open source is, is becoming more and more of a thing that we should be paying attention to, um, like with the recent investment in automatic and automatic. And just looking at that and looking into the future and thinking about how that might play out, what does that really mean? These are important conversations to be having. I, I want to I jump in and, and tail in on what Chris just said about the acceleration of the web. Now, if you're like a developer or you're thinking, you know, you want to get into software development or you want to start producing a product, don't think that you absolutely need to kind of like jump the queue and go learn all of these new technologies immediately. Because frankly, the rate of change is so fast at this point that something new is going to come out by the time you start learning the latest and oldest technology. And the one that you learned on, like, for example, React, like React is like the hot shit right now as far as like the editor goes and, and kind of like a whole bunch of plugins are adopting React. But the time you fully, truly understand that, it's already going to be replaced. Likely, don't quote me on it, but likely there'll be something newer, flashier and better at that point. For example, like Groundhog has like no React in it. It's pretty, it's like, it's still jQuery, PHP and Ajax, like powering the back end, but that's good enough right? To kind of just get the job done and do what it needs to do and it works. So don't think if you're like trying to get into this that you need to basically jump ship and go learn the newest thing and learn the newest tech because web technologies of past are not going away. You, they can still be used and they can be used very, very effectively to accomplish the, essentially the same means 
or the same end rather, uh, which is with different means. <laughs> I think you're so, making. I think you're making a great point there, Adrian, because also it's really you know there's a number of technologies like. Flash is a perfect example. It's actually the thing that got me into web development, action scripting and Flash. Well, that was the king of the castle for a couple of years and then boom, wiped <laughs> out. And some of these technologies come and go. Some of them are pushed as the bee's knees and they just don't get anywhere. It's really hard to tell. Who would have thought JavaScript would have come back? Because I was there in the early days where you had multiple DOMs and you, you literally had to write like eight pages of code to get it to work to do anything. In, yeah. in you know, um, who who knows? That, that, like 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 some of some of the stuff, for example, like GraphQL, which I only learned about last weekend, uh, and Gatsby. Like all of that stuff is super high level that the vast majority of internet users and like users of WordPress will never be able to understand. Right. So create tools for the majority, not necessarily the minority. And you can just pick the tool set that you're familiar with, that you use, that's easy to understand, and you can still create products and awesome stuff that's good enough to get the job done. And you don't necessarily just need to be throwing the town like, you know what, I'm not smart enough. I'm never going to be able to understand this. You can still get in and you can still make an impact and make really, really good stuff. What regardless you, of the technology. Well, but, you, you, you know, the, the person using your software does not give a... <clears throat> rats behind about what you wrote it in and, and whether exactly. that happens to be the flavor <laughs> of, the, of the month language. It's, you know, does it work? And some languages are better for doing some things and, and some are better than other for others. Uh, but there is a, there is a lot of, um, you know, sort of silly snobbery about particular mm. languages or frameworks or this or, or, or that. And it's like, yeah, well, we're, we are in tech. It does mean we are never going to be caught up ever. Uh, you know, that there's always going to be things evolving that, that we have to learn and, and that we're behind on. And, um, you know, if, if you don't want that, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not really sure what field you can go into that isn't experiencing that, but this one has it worse than most. What do you reckon, Uncle Spencer? The, at the risk of sounding like, uh, you know, I'm fawning. Morton, you are just an amazing guy. I mean, I literally am not being sarcastic. Like, you are so thoughtful. And this list, like, each one of those points, really, I was like, yeah, yeah. Like, I just high five to you for making this list because to me, this is really like a shortcut to an opportunity. And the opportunity is that anybody who is a student of history, but particularly in tech, should look to see that if you want to succeed, and this is the entrepreneurial bend to me, just look over that horizon that you're, let's say, you know, giving a map to and realize that we won't be staring at these screens using PHP and all the old tools, but rather we'll be interacting with people in a way where finally in a non, you know, old fashioned silo way, all the stuff will be behind the scenes talking to the end user through a front end that somebody designs that will be probably worn on somebody's face or in their ear and that's going to be the way that it's going to work. The world will interact in a way that the data does get shared, unfortunately, by those robotic dogs. But still, it will be shared in a way that's not the thing we're doing today. So that all this let's beat up on Otto and Matt stuff will be a thing of the past. In five oh, you've done it. You, oh, you mentioned Otto. We can't, we can't miss out Otto. I got to bring him into everything. By the way, <laughs> fairness to Otto, there was a time I was, I was doing <laughs> coding Yesterday, I was back to doing some coding, and there was a time when Otto was actually 
writing code recommendations on uh, various publications. And even then, he was the most opinionated son of a bitch ever because no matter what anybody said, he's like, no, that's wrong. This is the way to do it. So he had the beginnings of his future career right there. But nevertheless, back to the point. And he has a bellowed. I love, I love the way that this essentially says, look, watch one of those Steven Spielberg movies, like AI or something. And, you know, like the kid goes in the bottom of the ocean, he wakes up and he's a robot in the future and all that stuff. The point is, like, that is what we're doing now, which is we're setting the stage for, we all think in this thing we have, but as soon as this wagon wheel is replaced by a jet airplane, we'll, we'll have so many opportunities to reinvent ourselves, reinvent our world, our business. And the final thing is that last point, that was the most touching to me because religion, religion. I'm not going to point out any particular religion, but the fact that this particular pope is, uh, sorry, it's number nine, was so aware of the fact that technology is really the thing that is going to make or break us as human beings was encouraging to me. Because I think that's where politicians and religious leaders really fall off the shelf, where we're 12th century mindset in the 22nd, 3rd, 4th century. That's just not going to go. We have to realize the two things exist. So very yeah. enjoyable read, this one. Let's go on to story four. Um, Gutenberg, the WordPress block editor, the first year. Now, John, um, what did you think of this one? And secondly, um, I think, I think you know, it's a bit linked to what we've just discussed. You know, when Matt said, you're going to have to learn React deeply. And, you know, I, I think, as we were discussing last week, I said it was kind of witch's brew. I think that element kind of peeved off a lot of hardcore PHP developers who were thinking, well, I haven't got time to learn React and all this. So why is, why is Matt Marek thinks he's got the right to tell us that we're going to have to learn something? What do you reckon? Oh, it's because there's no governance of this project. <laughs> <laughs> For one, but... uh you know, I, okay, so the article, uh, this is by Eric uh, Karkovac. I, I like his writing. Uh, you know, Gutenberg, it's, it's getting better. It's still not there yet. I think most people still prefer to use something like Elementor or Breezy or Beaver Builder. It's still easier. That's just their workflow. And I think uh, if Gutenberg can be as pain-free as one of those page builders, then it will be successful. But unfortunately, that is the, what people expect. That's what people expect is something like, you know, Elementor or even Divi or, or something like that. And I have not found that Elementor and Beaver yeah. Builder are like pain-free and without yeah. frustration and totally. I find it well, easier to use Gutenberg. Now, any system that you are already using and know well yeah. is easier than any new system that you switch to. Always, always, always. But I really, I like working with Gutenberg. Well, actually, I actually think you're both right. I think, uh, I think, John, the only criticism I would place on what you just said, John, is that I actually, the fundamental thing you said, I agree with. But I think you used the word easy. I don't think Elemate or Beaverbird for the average punter, and I'm not just being disparaging by saying punter there, listeners and viewers, the average person then, they won't find those easy. Yeah. And in some way, a minor little tweak, Gutenberg, they probably would find easier. The problem is, but why I disagree with you, Sally, is that um, I think the 
considering that Automatic is a thousand-person company now, plus you've got all the volunteers, I think I think the where it is at the present moment, I've got to be honest with you, Sally, I think it's a bit disappointing um, be quite truthful about it. Oh, Chris, you got something to say? Uh, well, I just have a counterpoint to that. And it's just a short story, which um, I love working with my co-founder, Thomas. He, before he was a web developer, he was a poet. He's a very artistic person. He's a writer. No. And he makes a lot of stuff when we're making a new product that ends up in the trash can. So he's constantly experimenting. We have a new. Well, he never leaves that basement. You got him locked. You got him locked in the basement, and he never even sees the day of light, does he? Not entirely. Not entirely. We, we have a new add-on coming out. It's like a custom fields for a learning management system tool. And I saw him build it up in our settings panel, and then throw it in the trash. I saw him build it up in the customizer in WordPress, and then run into some limitations and throw it in the trash. And then I saw him just the other day build it up inside Gutenberg, and my mind was blown. So the ability to do um, like structured data and, and like collect data and display it however you want across your site and platform is like really amazing. And that's more of a, it's less of a beaver builder, page builder design thing. It's more of a structured data thing. And that was one of the most impressive things is watching a developer really leverage this new interface. And then I was looking at the tiny MCE editor when I was working on a WooCommerce product thing. And they got nothing. Like I could, what he was doing is like new school. And he was talking about how, you know, WordPress as a community really needs to level up and people need to learn JavaScript and whatnot. Cause like developers, it's going to be harder to work with this, but this is the new way and the more flexible way of doing things. So it was just, it, that was just a recent interaction I had with Gutenberg that I really appreciated. Yeah. Th- thanks for that. What do you reckon, Moulton? I think some of the stuff that is in this article, like just for the listeners so you can understand. So the conclusions, because there are headings here. The sky didn't fall. True. But anyone who, yeah, whatever. The editing experience is improving. The number of blocks is growing and it's here to stay. So Nothing all, of these things are, all of these things are like, Yes, that's what happens anytime there's new technology. These aren't revelations. Like it, it would be astonishing if any of those things didn't come to pass, right? The sky didn't fall because WordPress updated and people update WordPress. And then when things catastrophically go wrong, they fix them, right? So that's not a good metric for anything. Um, the fact that it's being improved is how software development works, but it doesn't tell us anything about how bad it was or how much it needs to improve to get where it needs to go. Um, That it's uh, blocks are coming. That's like, we're at the beginning of the block copolips here. We'll end up with a billion gazillion blocks. I I did two talks. No, I think we'll end up with fewer of them, but we will get there by well, means well, of just, zillions and zillions. Yeah, just just let me finish this off. Like when I, I, I did a talk at WordCamp Vancouver about building custom blocks. And I had in the beginning, I was like, do you need to build a custom block? And then I spent literally two minutes on the Google, no, on the uh, 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 plugin directory to see how many different block plugins I could find. And like there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. But I picked the 20 ones that had the, the 20 that had the highest um, ratings and I installed all of them in my site and I ended up with 250 blocks. So 
like, and and most of them are just the same, different variations. Yeah, you have a dozen them, libraries with all the same blocks in them. And most of them are blocks that you can actually build yourself using a repeatable block, right? So uh, there's um, like the, the block copolips is coming. That we always knew that. That was a conversation from the very yeah. beginning. And uh, the, the the whole thing about like uh, this is an evolution part. The problem in this entire conversation is we can't measure Gutenberg on whether or not people use it because Gutenberg is just a default block, or sorry, the block editor is just the default WordPress experience. If we wanted to have a serious conversation about the block editor, we need to look at how the block editor is changing behavior, whether or not it's improving or or uh, devolving the ability to publish content online. And when you're seeing how the block editor is evolving right now, you're seeing that they're starting to take away more and more of the user interface. They're starting to like simplify the process so you don't have these things show up all the time. So all the arguments that were placed against the block editor in production about like, this is way too distracting. It makes it way too hard to do things. It provides too many clicks. They're slowly realizing that, oh, all that feedback we were getting, that wasn't just people being difficult. It was actually real feedback that we should have listened to to begin with. So what we're slowly seeing is this realization from the development team that they made a ton of mistakes and then chose not to listen to people who told them that these were mistakes. And now those mistakes are coming and biting them so hard in the ass that they have to fix them. Now, the problem with all this is, yes, it's all evolving, but the next stage of evolution of Gutenberg or the block editor is the full page editing where okay. blocks everywhere. And that's where, like my article where I was talking about how like everything is changing, that's where WordPress separates itself from the path of the rest of the web. Because what WordPress will do with that change is it'll say, WordPress, the block editor, is now the authority on layout. Meaning if you're a user and you place a block up on the right-hand corner, that's where it needs to stay. That is literally the opposite of how the web is going to work in the future. Um, and the, the way that they're implementing it now by having this template layer, template level for blocks, and then the post level for blocks makes it so that you have to like put your blocks in either one of those two layers instead of treating the whole view as just an assemblance of blocks, that will create problems for developers in the future because you now have to treat these two separate layers um, separately. And the reason why they're doing it like that is because there is this, and there's this resistance within the development community of ever breaking apart the content block. And that Which is, is a uh, pity. And it's a very old way of thinking about content. Like that is the blob thinking that the rest of the web community threw away five years ago that we're now solidifying into WordPress into the foreseeable future, which is why I keep saying that like this, this path that we're going down now, it looks good on the front and it could have been good. And, but in reality, because of how data is handled, it's actually a very bad thing and it'll hold WordPress back. And more importantly, it'll hold the whole web back. Like, this is why people in the wider web community talk about WordPress as this thing that slows web development down because this is happening. Yeah, all right. Um, I, I do want to touch this last, well, we had two stories, but especially this number five, and then we go on to say our recommendations. Um, but make it quick, panel, because uh, I don't want this to become war and peace. Um, US Supreme Court denies Domino's appeal to determine whatever websites must be accessible. Sally, I think you 
Yes, I mean, this is something that's going to affect us as developers and affect that. I mean, I, I am glad that this decision was, uh, you know, that this is the conclusion they reached, that they said, no, we're not going to hear your appeal. Um, you know, this uh, lower court said, um, you know, blind people need to be able to order pizza. Um, and uh, that, uh, you know, this is this is how we should operate. and. Uh, you know, I think that's a good thing that it will help uh, prevent accessibility from just being an afterthought. Uh, and that that's a, you know, it's something that should be a, a priority and just like part of what we do, right? Responsive design came around and, and there was a, you know, a period in which people were, were like, you know, well, we're going to charge more to make your site responsive. And then, you know, you get to the point where, well, if that website, you know, if websites are not always built to be responsive like WTF are you doing? Uh, it's 2019 and, and that this should just be something that's expected. And yes, that does mean that there will be, um, you know, predatory uh, attorneys who are, are out, you know, just seeing like, you know, what they can shake people down for. Um, but it also means that ultimately we're going to end up, uh, you know, with a web that is more usable for more people, which is what we want. What do you reckon, John? What do you reckon about this one? Websites should be accessible. I, I find it very interesting that Domino's is spending more money to try and fight uh, this accessibility <laughs> than to actually make it accessible. It's um, crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, you should do this. It's not super complicated. I mean, it is a whole like another skill set, but Accessibility, and I can attest to this, uh, a lot of web designers, it, it goes against uh, some accessible things. It goes against like what they want to do because it's not pretty. So that might be the pushback. What do you reckon, Spencer? What do you think Domino's fault is rather than just getting site accessible? Companies like Hobby Lobby and Domino's and the other pizza guy, right-wing conservative founders right, uh, yeah. like to go to the mat to stick their thumb in other people's eyes that don't match up with their philosophy. Because John just said it perfectly. It's like, really? You'd rather pay the lawyers and go to court than just like fixing the website? That just shows you're not me. You don't believe my beliefs. F Sp you. Spencer, are you saying that it's because it's for people who are not fully able-bodied that it's maybe like in their core uh, philosophy that they are lesser people. Maybe that has something to do with it. What I'm saying is that what, this does, I'm not picking any particular religion, but when you're a right wing believer in something, you know, the, 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 I don't know, the marshmallow man the point is you align your entire system of beliefs around I belong to this specific group of criterion and rules and so forth. And anyone who is the wrong color, the wrong location, the wrong size, the shape, isn't me, doesn't believe what I believe in. So you do not exist in my world. And that's all it is. It's like I will spend every one of my last dimes on doing it the way I believe, even if you suffer. And that's unfortunately the opposite of what most of the belief systems are founded on. But, you know, they've been perverted over time. And so... Yeah, that's unfortunately it. That guy, Tom Monahan, I'm not picking on him in particular, but this is not the first scuffle Domino's has been in for his right-wing religious beliefs. And I think that's what this really amounts to. Could he be the sites of this, Moulton? Keep in mind that there's a large contingent of the WordPress community who supports 
dominoes in this. That clear that states openly and willingly that uh, imposing any type of legislation or rule on web developers to make sites accessible is somehow uh, against the principles of the web or some version of you can't tell me what to do bullshit or whatever. I mean, when I posted this, uh, one of the lead developers of Underscores argued back that, well, you know, legislation isn't the right path to go down this and I don't think that this will ever happen. And it's like, what the fuck, dude? You do the work. You literally are the person doing the work. If you think legislation isn't the right way, that's fine. Just, just build websites that are accessible then because you're not doing it right now. So whatever. <laughs> you're not doing the job. It's, it's, I keep saying this and John said the same thing. The, the whole purpose of the web is to make content accessible. That was why the web was built to begin with. When we make it inaccessible, we are doing things to the web that go against the grain of the web and the purpose of the web. When de developers and designers then argue that doing that, literally breaking the purpose of the web, is somehow a thing that must be protected, then they're just off on some path of craziness that I don't even want to address. Yes, it's insane that Domino's is fighting this, this but it's a standard behavior in the corporate world that anytime you get accused of anything is like the, when Delta or whoever, some airline, United, they broke a guy's guitar, right? Like where they literally like dropped it in between the plane and the ga gangway and he had video of the plane just going crash, 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 right? Like, and there's like, there is zero way that United can argue that this isn't their fault. Yet they went to court to protect themselves, right? Because it's all a precedence thing. They don't want to ever have this thing hold, held over them that they did something wrong. So Domino's is fighting this out of principle. You cannot to say, possibly admit liability do... for anything ever. Yeah, and they'll, they're willing to spend an enormous amount of money arguing that they never did anything wrong because it's better than saying, oh, we made a mistake, right? And this is a very American way of thinking. It's a very corporate way of thinking. But that's the thing. And then the unfortunate part is that there's a ton of people on the web who then go, yeah, no, we shouldn't have any legislation because that is imposing on my rights as a developer to do whatever I want. And then anyone who goes, actually, you know, your users have rights that are like enshrined in law <laughs> or enshrined in human rights and things like that. They're like, no, 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 no. You can't let's just try to impose laws on me because whatever. And then I'm like, yeah, okay. You're not doing your fucking job. Do your fucking job. Make accessible stuff. The end. Right. I think uh, this guy on to recommendation. I, I think that's a very good closing line. Yeah, I do as well. Just get on with it. Uh, I won't say that a little bit. Uh, Robert, you can upset that geezer. He's going to bloody um, remark on the Facebook page again now. We'll, yes, we have yeah, an NSFW. Right, there we go. Uh, on, on, to the, on, to, on to the next, on to my rec recommendations of the week. And mine, mine's linked to last week's um, conversation about Matt Maggie's, um interview with David. And it's an interview that was recorded a couple of years ago by Chris Hedges, who's a well-known... Um, personality, uh, orphan, philosopher. I've met Chris a couple of times and he's a really funny guy, which sometimes you don't get across his um, public face. And he interviewed a great man, Shaden Wolin, um, which I feel was one of America's greatest philosophers and political theorists. And it's a great interview that goes into what um, Shaden kind of come up with a term called inverted totalitarianism and basically what that means is that you have a class of people that clothe themselves with all the 
all the language and the baggage of liberal liberalism, but at their core, at their heart, that they are fascist. So they wrap themselves with all the um, presentation of liberalism, but in their heart, they are truly fascist in mentality. And um, I think you see that a lot with the, a lot of people in the tech world. They they spout liberal ideas, but their actions speak true fascist at their core of their heart. So go go and have a look at it. Um, Adrian, have you got a recommendation? Uh, I I do. I was about to reach for my microphone, but I'm using this one. Um, earlier, I mentioned WP and Up. WP and Up is a, a charity organization focused on mental health within the WordPress community. They're currently looking. They're doing a campaign right now. Hashtag Never Give Up. Uh, they are seeking donations and support financially in order to continue operations, attending word camps and all of that good stuff and continue providing an extremely valuable service to the remote workers of the WordPress community all out there all alone working in their basements. So if you, uh, <laughs> like myself, if you, uh, if you, uh, you know, think that, or if you think that's a, it's a worthwhile cause or uh, the fact that maybe they've helped you in the past or maybe you are in need of, then I'd recommend you go check out their, their article about their newest campaign and, and perhaps consider uh, providing help. That's great. Thank, thanks for that, Adrian. Um, Alton, you got anything you want to share with the listeners and viewers? Yes. Uh, that guy that did the thing that everyone got really angry about and now is confined to an apartment in Russia wrote a book that you should read. Uh, saying his name out loud probably puts this podcast on a CIA Oh, please, please. So, so so let's do it. Snowden. <laughs> Whatever you do with your time. Fuck you, fuckers. Fuck you, fuckers that are listening now. Yeah, I, I eat you, yeah. you bastards. I guess they're already on a list, yeah. Go read Edward Norton's book. Up you, you bloody parasites. <laughs> it's called Permanent Record. Um, it's a very interesting book where he, he's basically... I'm not a bloody slave, yeah, you yeah, fuckers. Yeah, yeah. Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> I think Jonathan is drinking or something. That, <laughs> Bit gratuitous. It's a, it's, a very, it's a very good book. It's an interesting Go book because he tells... Go fuck your mother, you bastards. <laughs> is, is this like that content moderation thing where it's like, if you swear, then it'll have to be cut out later? That, I'm just making what I feel about these parasites yeah. that listen so, to other people's conversations. Listen, All right, listen. Let's, let's move it along. Read right. The book, it's very interesting, especially the last part where he talks about how he ended up in Russia and why that happened. Because it's a it's not a well-told story in the world. So reading it from his point of view, and it also makes you want to throw away all your electronic devices and go live in a cave somewhere. But you know. <laughs> Edward Snowden, permanent record. Yeah, fantastic. Sally, yeah, sorry, Sally. Sally, uh, what could he recommend? <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, my uh, uh, recommendation for for this uh, 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 for this week is um, the Story Map uh, app for uh, Arc uh, GIS, which is a, a, a I discovered because PG&E was using it uh, uh, to help people find out whether um, their address was going to be affected by the uh, power outage, um, and uh, fortunately, mine was not. Uh, uh, but since uh, PG&E has uh, not been uh, able to or willing uh, to, uh, uh, you know, 
upgrade the, their uh, uh, equipment and lines enough to uh, make it, you know, uh, less likely that they would be the cause of a massive wildfire. Uh, they opted instead in times of high power, high fire danger, simply to turn the power off for people who lived in those areas. So yeah, little mapping was important, but the, uh, the, the, uh, the tool is, is pretty cool if, in terms of creating stories that are based on uh, geographic data visualizations. And they've got a lot of stuff aimed at local governments and, and Wait, so on. Hold up. So they just turn the power off for tons of people well, they, just they for, war- to prevent they, fire? They warned us in advance. We had this like super high fire danger uh, period, which is coming to an end. There are people whose power is still off, apparently, mostly up in the hills all over California. Um, and uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. If you are unfortunate enough to be a, a customer of PG&E that was, you know. What the hell's going on with this? Well, hell, it is going on. At, at, at fault for the, the terrible fires last year um, because of power station yeah. exploding. Yeah, they don't want to get sued, so they switched the yes. Okay, what that means is my bills go up. Um, and, uh, <laughs> so instead of fixing the infrastructure, they're like, well, just turn it off. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> it's like, it. It's like, oh, not well, provide the service. You know, we didn't actually maintain our infrastructure for decades, and we can't fix it in time for the fire season, so we're just going to turn the power off. Yeah. And it's uh, it's pretty crazy, but uh, just to do a search on it, you'll you'll find all kinds of, of news and comments. But the uh, the uh, the tool that they used uh, is interesting. What kind of recommendation, Chris? Uh, my recommendation is a tool for accessibility. It's a WordPress plugin called User Way, which gives your people who are using your website controls for accessibility to navigate the keyboard, navigate your website by the keyboard, change your cursor, change the contrast, bigger text, adjust saturation, have it read the page by audio, create legible fonts and more. So check out the user way plugin. That sounds fantastic. Uncle Spencer. <laughs> I'll be embarrassing with our rant there, but it just triggers something in me. Um, I'm sorry. Um, Spencer, got anything to recommend? <laughs> How does P&G think that people are going to run their electric water pumps to spray water on their houses to keep them from burning when the power's off? Um, I, I had a frustration this week where, you know, use different tools like Calendly, but you're trying to make a meeting with more than one person. And everything. Yeah. I'll do it then. This tool is woven.com, and it essentially just, like, connects everybody to one Google calendar scenario situation. And you can just see where everybody's available, and you go... That's the spot. So if you have more than one person trying to schedule something, give it a shot, I suppose. Yeah, I have a look at that. It's a, there's a couple of other solutions, but I really look at I think that's a fantastic suggestion because it really is a pain in the posterior, isn't it? Well, everybody's like, I have a calendar, and you have a calendar, and you have a calendar, or whatever you use. And it's like, we're all calendly. Yeah, fuck them. Um, John, 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 you got a recommendation. Yeah, I'm going to use my spot this week. I'm going to actually uh, recommend one of my own things, which is a video I put out this morning called How I Got My First SEO Client. It's the story of how I did it. And the reason why I'm recommending it is I have seen a lot, a lot, a lot of people um, giving advice on how to get SEO clients. This is a big like cottage industry, people selling courses and mentorships and all this stuff on, on how to get rich and you know what I mean? And five easy steps. And uh, 
this video is just what, what I did. And it's contrarian to what a lot of people are saying. But like I said, I'm, you know, um, just go watch it. Yeah, give, me your, give me your advice. Give a thumbs up. So That's great. All right, then. Another great show. Thank you, panel. Um, hopefully, there's some viewers. I apologize for my rant. I think I'll just go on because I think of the sacrifice of my father and his beloved brother that died in Italy uh, um, fighting fascism. And my beloved father that got injured in Normandy. And that's a lot. We just give away our freedom like lambs to the slaughter and say nothing and do nothing. It just gets me going, listeners and viewers. I'll see you next week, folks. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.